What's up everybody? Welcome back to Aspect Radio. Uh, today is going to be a little bit different. Uh, we're going to do a solo episode. Uh, we'll do these every once in a while just in case uh, we can meet me and Maggie. Uh, whether, you know, one of us is sick or we're out of town or something like that. So it might be a bit shorter of an episode, but I'll try to compensate for that and, you know, carry along as much as I can. Uh, so today is very exciting actually for me because we're talking about one of my favorite films, possibly my favorite horror film of all time. Uh, we're of course talking about The Thing, uh, which was released in 1982 and directed by John Carpenter. For 100,000 years, it was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live, inside, where no one can see it, or hear it, or feel it. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. And starring Kurt Russell, who I really love as an actor. Uh, so yeah, this was one of the first horror movies I saw, and it was very influential for me because it's just such a unique movie. Like there really isn't anything else like it. For a quick plot synopsis, basically it's about a group of twelve men, and they are stranded in Antarctica. They're at a research station, and a alien that can basically copy whatever it comes into contact with. So if it comes into contact with a person, it can perfectly copy that person, how they talk, how they speak, how they act, how they look. And it's a really unique monster. And it's never been really done, but it's, it was never done before in film. And it's arguably has never been done better, which I think it's, you know, I think it's still the best example of this type of cosmic horror, I guess you could call it. It's basically a gigantic paranoia film because you don't know exactly who is who and if anybody is the actual thing. And so starting off, it's just an incredibly intense movie. It's really, it's, that's the driving part of this movie. If you're going to see this movie because of the mood. Um, it just gives you this intense sense of dread and it's like the apocalypse big, basically. Like humanity itself is resting on these 12 guys and their ability to stop this creature. But uh, from the speaking of the 12 actors, they're, all of them do a very, very good job in uh, portraying their own characters. And like I said before, it's all men. So it's a pretty, uh, it can get kind of intense. Uh, there's a lot of fighting amongst them all. There's always bickering. Everybody's suspicious of everybody else. And sort of a unique environment, I would say. But when the monsters introduced, you can see that all, all of them start to derail and they all start to become slowly insane and do drastic measures as this, uh, this being, this monster, the thing, is taking over each and every one of them slowly. The acting is really good. You can say that they're kind of one note, the characters, and I can definitely understand that. And in a way they are, because each of them has their own personality and each of them sticks to it for most of the most of the film and I mean it is I can understand that though because there are 12 12 characters to start out with so going into detail of 
any one character or all of them at the same time would one lead to a three-hour movie and two would probably kind of muddle out the monster and the overall theme of the movie itself but yeah you can just relate to these guys and that's what you're supposed to do and each of them does a, does a really good job uh, Kurt Russell plays the main star uh, McCready and he's your typical 80s uh, badass he's got a beard and he has a cowboy hat and he's a helicopter pilot and so you know, it's kind of type. He's kind of typecasted because right before this, he played a very similar role. He was a in a Escape from New York, which is also a John Carpenter film. Which uh, you know, he's a badass. He knows what to do, and uh, basically, he just you know, he gets shit done. And he just has the look and the feel and the voice for that type of character. So I think that's what makes him one of my favorites. And then next would probably be the actual look of the film, which is just. Uh, fantastic it's it's set in Antarctica but obviously they didn't film there uh, it was filmed mostly the outside shots it's filmed mostly in British Columbia and a little bit of Alaska and so they, the crew actually spent three and a half weeks I believe it was out in uh, British Columbia and it was just obviously a terrible region to do filming in because it's always you know negative 20 it's extreme the weather's always bad and you barely have any sunny days and it's just really hard to get stuff done and uh there's always you know there's stories about what these guys had to do to get the filming done and what they just did to entertain themselves because the actual set when the exterior shots of this research camp it's not an actual building well it is but they didn't they don't use it to uh to sleep in you know it's only for shots and so they had to, every single day, take a bus up to this remote location or a helicopter in order to reach the, uh, reach the site. But, uh, but yeah, it blows my mind how, how isolated this entire movie feels. And it's, it's, ext it's extremely uh, claustrophobic, especially when the monster is introduced and you don't know what's what. But, and that goes along with uh, the lighting, especially at night. It's super dark, and the research camp has blue lights hinted all throughout. And it's still dark, but there's faint hues of blue, and it sets the mood. And the music itself, it's very minimal. There's barely any music in this movie. But the infamous track that plays in the beginning and at the end is... a. Uh, is really suspenseful it really sets the mood and I think it's probably one of the best horror movie soundtracks it's so recognizable at least for me and then how the movie shot it's all very there's not a whole lot of uh, wide shots so you can't really you don't really see the entire person very often it's more or less up close in quarters with all these guys basically bunched together trying to survive and it, it really is shot very well and it's uh, very convincing and you feel like you're stuck in this research station with them. Getting past the mood which is a gigantic part of the movie, the, definitely the biggest part of the movie and, and the best reason you should watch it. Uh, getting past that though is probably the most infamous aspect of the movie which is the actual monster, the thing. It's it's definitely my favorite movie monster of all time. 
uh, probably rivaled only by the Xenomorph from the Alien series, but that'll be another day. Uh, but the thing is absolutely terrifying, just in the concept alone. Basically, like I explained before, it's a perfect imitator. It survives by copying other beings and then slowly killing everything else around it until everything is an assimilation and it can move on to a different planet and then assimilate further. And that itself is scary, but the means in which it does it is terrifying. It's not a virus, really. It can be. It's not really a virus, but it's more... Imagine a lump of flesh that can basically morph into any shape that it's come into contact with. And there can be multiple of these things around. It really is a virus, I guess, when you think about it, because there are multiple imitations of people running around at the same time. Each and every cell of this of this thing is independent. And so if you just in, if you just ingested like one cell of this thing and that cell survived and got into like your bloodstream, then you're done for because it'll just take you over slowly. And it's really a terrifying thought. And it sparks a lot of questions like do you know if you would be taken over? Would you know that you're an imitation? Would you, you know, be able to stop it in any way? Can you kill this thing while it's inside of you? It's 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 really an interesting monster. And the thing that really helps it is the practical effects, which I believe were done by Rob Botton and a little bit of Stan Winston. And they are just beautiful. They're absolutely fantastic. Probably the best practical effects you'll ever see. At least the most gory and creepy ones you'll see thing usually doesn't like to fight physically it likes to hide itself in imitation but if it has to if it's quartered it will uh, transform into a more grotesque state and a more opposing state so for instance the first uh, being that's assimilated in the movie we don't see it but we know it's a it's an imitation is a dog actually it's a husky and when it's revealed that the husky is a thing, the dog basically peels its face off. It peels its face back and it reveals this, it grows another head like on its side and it grows a bunch of spider legs and it starts shooting goo everywhere. And it even grows like eyeballs and like a plant sort of mouth and it's extremely disgusting. But it looks fantastic. It, it's a it's a marvel of engineering, and like that's only the beginning. Later on, when the humans get assimilated and you see it transform from a human into this thing monster, it's extremely disturbing. Each and every monster is unique. There's not a uh, there's not an original form for the thing. It's always adding new DNA, adding new things literally adding new things they can use to its arsenal that it can always imitate and so it's it's a terrifying thought and it it's really good for the movie because obviously it can imitate you perfectly and it creates this immense sense of well who's who is are they an, an imitation and they figure out how to tell on tell later but it's a bit too late because at that point a large amount of the group has already been killed off and uh, even then, when they're able to figure it out, it, they really don't know how to deal with it, how to kill this thing at least. And that's the other thing. It's very, very hard to kill it because obviously you don't know 
what it is, like if it's if it's your friend or if it's a thing. So it's hard to just find it. And then two, it's very hard to uh, it's very hard to kill it just in general. The only real weapons that they have that are able to kill it technically are flamethrowers, because you have to kill it the at the cellular level, or else it will survive and it will find something else to imitate and it will go on. And so once that's really the only thing that they have, flamethrowers. And it is pretty epic to see them actually light stuff on fire, which they actually did have a working flamethrower unit on set, and they did uh, set some stuff on fire, and it was pretty cool. But back to the monster. Later on, the sequences with the monster get even more grotesque, and they're really, really disturbing. First one, I believe, is with a... with a, one of the members, his name is Norris. It's, he's revealed to be an imitation, and so what happens is he's uh, receiving CPR, and so because it, the monster is fake is faking a, a heart condition that Norris had. And so they're giving him CPR, and as the doctor of the group is about to press down on his chest, the chest opens up and turns into a gigantic mouth and chomps the monsters, chops uh, the doctor's arms off, which is insane. It, it, and it still looks good. Like, you can look at it, and it's not, it's not too unbelievable. It, it still looks fantastic even today and then from that mouth a tiny spider creature emerges and it like clings to the wall and it's really really grotesque it's covered in ky jelly it's oozing green stuff and the original head on norris starts to like it starts to peel itself off it grows spider legs and tries to escape like you just you, it, you just can't describe it without seeing it. It's absolutely insane. And then later on, another person, Palmer, is uh, found to be a thing. And this is one of the more phony effects in the movie. It still looks you know relatively good, but it, you can definitely tell that it's it's a dummy. But uh, basically, what happens is Palmer's head starts to inflate, and it you know it's oozing blood everywhere. And then eventually the head just splits in two and a gigantic and it basically turns into a big mouth again like it's this gigantic mouth that used to be the head it has this tongue and it shoots and it grabs another another guy and it sucks him in and he starts like chomping on his head and basically eating him but uh and so while he's flailing around as he's trying to eat this guy this guy is you know he's holding him up and trying to put him over him so he can eat him and the guy's obviously a dummy like you can't get around it it's but you know it still looks you know it's believable it's 100% believable and so uh it's really it's really just you have to see the effects the effects are the other part that really makes this movie uh a classic and so basically when it comes to the story um, you can summarize it very briefly in that this thing slowly picks off each and every one of these guys until it's basically one person left, or two. Uh, McCready and Childs, which is another uh, member of the group. Uh, basically, in the, I would say about the midpoint of the movie, McCready figures out a way in order to tell apart the different, uh, for, uh, tell apart a human from a thing. And it's by 
taking the blood from somebody and then exposing a hot needle to it. And if, and as I said before, the thing doesn't really have any, any individuality. Each cell is its own living creature. So if it will try to escape from the hot needle. And so it eventually does work. The test does work. And that's how they find out Palmer is a thing. And so you really feel like you're along with these guys and you're trying to figure out what this thing can do and what it's going to do or what its motives are. Like I said, the main point of the film is it's like paranoia because you can't tell uh, who is who and which if the thing has assimilated anybody and if the person you're standing and staring at is actually your friend that you've known or it's an alien. And that's a terrifying thought. And it basically... And the thing plays on that. It knows that they know. And so it tries to sabotage other members and to make the other people try to kill this falsely accused human. And uh, and it, wor it, it works for a little bit. Like, they do convince uh, the rest of the group that McCready is a thing, which we later find out that he is not. But, uh, but that's, the real, that's the real horror, is the suspicion and the paranoia of who's standing next to you. And it's, it's supremely chilling to know that, you know, it's not the person you think it was. So yeah, throughout the movie, basically, uh, we see a bunch of transformations and slowly the cast gets picked off one by one until eventually McCready realizes that the only way to kill it is to completely destroy it, you know, on a cellular level, which is they, they knew before, but they figured out that what it wants to do is it wants to freeze itself in the ice. So when the rescue team comes next spring, they'll find it and they'll bring it to civilization. So McCready realizes this and he realizes that we can't let that happen because if that happens, then the entire world is screwed. And so, uh, Basically, the uh, the team is picked off one by one, and McCready decides that it's best they they just blow up the entire camp with the thing, as the thing along with it. And so they do. They actually, and this is no joke. In the actual, they actually blew up the set of the movie at the very end because you know how else were you going to get the effect? And and. Uh, they actually blew it up and it looks fantastic and they actually used explosives and TNT dynamite whatever you want to call it C4 it, it was actually used and it it's it's very glorious to see the entire place go up in smoke but uh but yeah they blow up the entire the entire uh, compound and McCready has a final face off right before that with the thing it shows itself, and it's this gigantic, like, T-Rex-looking monster with, like, morphed faces of its, of his old, uh, of his old, you know, comrades that have all been assimilated, and, uh, he throws this TNT at it and runs away, and the TNT explodes, thus setting off a chain reaction and destroying the entire compound. It's a very, it's, it's a pretty satisfying ending, but that by itself, but there is, like, one more minute which has caused constant debate uh, amongst people who've watched this film. Uh, basically what happens is that we know McCready is not uh, an imitation. We know that we've been with him throughout the entire movie, 
and uh, we know that with the blood test, it showed that he was not a thing. However, earlier in the movie, another man named Childs disappeared, and nobody knew where he went. They saw him leaving the camp, and that was, I want to say, about like an hour before they blew up the camp. And uh, they didn't know where Childs went. He just left in, to go f chase something in, in the snow at night. And so, basically, after the entire camp is blown up and McCready's the only one left, he just sits outside watching the fire in this, like, old shed or, like, the remnants of some sort of, uh, some sort of shack. And so, and he's exposed to the elements, and it's obvious he'll die within, you know, a couple of hours due to the, due, due to freezing. But uh, from the shadows comes Childs, and they both sit down, they both look at each other, and it's obvious that they both suspect each other that they're things. And so, we know that McCready isn't a thing, but the constant debate is whether or not Childs is an imitation. And personally, I think he is. And I would say it's pretty, there are some pretty big clues for it, too. Uh, earlier we see that Childs, before he left, before he ran out, we see that he was uh, standing guard at the door, and there's this random shot that's just kind of spliced in in the movie where it shows that same door open and snow letting in and Childs is gone. So it's almost as if child had been, Childs had been attacked. And it's definitely, I think there's a lot of pointers towards it. People think that right before Childs shows up at the end, uh, McCready is holding a Molotov cocktail, which I don't think he is because Molotov cocktails, uh, you know, there's certain reasons that it doesn't add up. But again, uh, I mentioned this last episode, there's a channel called Collet Collative Learning. C-O-L-L-A-T-I-V-E, learning. Uh, he did a few uh, theory videos on the thing. I highly suggest it. It's a very interesting watch, especially if you like the movie. But uh, but it's mainly on whether or not child is a thing. Is a thing. And I personally do think he, he brings up some pretty strong points. And I think that child in the end is a thing. But before, you know, before child can transform or McCready can do anything, the film ends, and you're left with no conclusion as to whether Childs, you know, whether to what happened to either of them. If Childs lived and went on to, you know, destroy the entire planet, or whether McCready, uh, you know, killed Childs and the thing, and then just froze to death. You never know. Uh, which I think is a very, very bold move, but I really like endings like that. It's left up to the viewer. And it can be unsatisfying for some people, and I understand that. But I think it lends, it lends to the lasting effect of the movie, because you can watch this movie, and it, it doesn't leave you with a happy ending that ties up all loose ends. It leaves you with a question that makes you think about it later on. And I really love movies like that. And so this film is a perfect example of it. And throughout the entire movie, it's a very somber story because there's very little hope that these guys have. And you feel it too, because basically the weight of the world is on them if they are able to stop this thing. And it's, it's, it's an extremely, extremely somber movie when you think about it and think about the premise. But 
it's actually not original. It's not an original story. It's technically a remake, if you'd like to call it that, or a reimagining. Uh, so basically, the original story was a short short story uh, called Who Goes There? And it was released in 1938. And I have actually read it, and it's very, it, it is very similar to the, uh, the movie in certain ways. Uh, like, keeps the same premise. There's the blood testing scene. Uh, but it's, it's pretty good. It keeps the same character names. But uh, it's pretty good. I would suggest and it's really short so I think it's only 58 pages so it's pretty interesting but uh but yeah that was released in 1938 and then in the 1950s I believe it was 56 uh I'll look it up but in 1950s there was a horror movie called The Thing from Another World 1951 uh which I have seen uh it's a very you know it's it's a 1951 horror film but I, but I think it's a really good movie, just uh, considering the times and considering the uh, the budget and everything and the effects. It is a pretty... It does sort of keep the same spirit of the 1982 version because you don't know where this monster is and you don't know what it's uh, capable of. However, in the 1951 version, there is no... The monster does not is not able to copy beings. It's just like a Frankenstein monster. And it's uh, it's still, and you, you rarely see it. You don't really see the monster's face. It's always usually a silhouette that's attacking somebody. And it, it's always in dimly lit areas, and it's it's pretty creepy. But, uh, but the 1951 version is definitely memorable. I would suggest that too. It's called A Thing From Another World. It's by Howard Hawks. And it's, it's, very, it's a very interesting film. It's good. It's a good uh, popcorn flick if you just want to sit back and watch some cheesy old movies. But uh, but yeah, the 1982 version is basically a reimagining of the story and basically a remake of the 1951 version. And then, of course, uh, in 2011, there was a uh, remake of the 1982 version, or more of a prequel, a prequel slash remake of it. And so, what happened was, the 2011 version, I've never seen it personally. I've seen bits and pieces of it, and I've watched reviews of it. It's definitely not a good movie. It's definitely has, it definitely has its merits, but it doesn't hold, it doesn't hold anything against the, uh, against the 51 and the 82 version. Both of them are leagues better than the 2011 version. There's still some interesting ideas in the 2011 version. Uh, I'll have to watch it myself and see what I come up with, but for right now, there's no chance that it uh, stacks up to the originals. So yeah, I highly recommend this movie. It's a horror classic. It unfortunately didn't do good when it was, uh, when it was released because it was a very, you know, very depressing movie because there's really isn't any hope for these guys. They all basically have to die. And it, you know, it doesn't even have a happy ending. There's never really any comic relief in the movie. It's always taken really seriously. And so, uh, it's really, it really didn't do very well. And the funny thing was, it was released, I believe, three weeks before E.T. came out. So it was sort of overshadowed by E.T.'s release and the absolute monument of a film that was. Which is understandable, but I think 
people, I think the thing really deserved more at the time because nowadays it's considered an absolute classic. And it's good to know that uh, John Carpenter is still alive and he knows that he made a really good movie, uh, which I'm really happy about. So yeah, if you ever really, if you ever want to watch some depressing stuff, which I mean, you know, there are moods and times you want to watch that, or you want to watch some really gross gore out effects, then you should definitely watch The Thing from 1982. And if you want to watch the original of what it's based on, the Howard Hawks 51 version is really good too. Check out the 2011 one if you're a fan of the originals. See if you can glean anything from it. I'll pro we'll probably talk about it eventually in another episode. But uh, but yeah, out of out of ten, I'd give uh, I'd give the thing a ten out of ten. But that's a bias. That's a biased score. Be um, to be completely honest, because it's one of the first ones I watched, and it's and it's one of the best ones I've watched. So. I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. That's my personal opinion. I can always go back and watch this movie. And, you know, that might be not that might not be the same for others because, you know, it's hard to watch such depressing stuff, but for me it's it's almost perfect. At least it at least it is for me. So, uh yeah, hope you guys enjoyed the solo episode. Uh next episode, I think we'll be going over The Princess Bride. Uh, a little break from the horror first two episodes were kind of grim I understand I've never actually never seen this movie so I'm really excited Maggie has and then so it's gonna be gonna be pretty cool but uh yeah hope you guys enjoyed uh, we'll see you next time and see you later